Can you do me a favour if you're listening to this? Please press the follow or subscribe button. It will support spreading the partnership message far and wide. It helps more than you know. Welcome to episode two of the Partnership Podcast. My name is David Moss and I lead one of two partnerships here in North Somerset. We both have local authority, charities, residents and the NHS partners working closely together. I'm your host in a number of conversations with staffs across the partnerships who live and work here in North Somerset. However, today, on the day that Liz Truss was announced our new Prime Minister, I had the pleasure of meeting Shane Devlin, Chief Executive of NHS Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucestershire Integrated Care Board. In this episode, Shane talks about his formative years, sets out the purpose and opportunity for both integrating the system and his beliefs and vision for the role of locality partnerships. We talk about creating the conditions to fail and learn, innovate, his learning and understanding from years of working in Northern Ireland where integration started in the 1970s, the importance of relationships, trust and a fundamental need to be brave. Needless to say, this made for a rich discussion, gave insights and a clear mandate for locality partnerships as the system adjusts its tack as the winds of change from a commissioner-provider split make for a new and more cohesive integrated horizon. Burnt out of our home in Northern Ireland? Sure. A chief executive said to me, what is a locality partnership? Sure. Of equity of outcome, not equity of access. Sure. The current way we're doing things it, it is not innovating in the way sure. any reliable, um, but not sexy, not exciting. So without further ado, I am David Moss, and this is the Partnership Podcast, improving our collective understanding of communities, organisations and partnership, brought to you by staff, for staff who are working to keep people well and healthy. So, Shane, welcome to the Partnership Podcast. Thank you for finding the time to speak to us. I know you're a busy man. You're very welcome. Um, and, and as with all of these discussions, uh, we met with Sarah Pepper, Dr. Sarah mm-hmm. Pepper, last week, who's the chair of our locality partnership in Woodspring, and you're our second episode. So Excellent. Thank De- you. Delighted to be the second episode. <laughs> But before we get into the NHS and, mm. and so on, I just wonder if we could get to know you a little bit and, and ask where you grew up, how did that upbringing shape yeah. who you are today? Certainly. Well, you might be able to hear from my accent, um, clearly not from Bristol, I'm from Northern Ireland, but actually I was born in Northern Ireland but grew up in Kent and spent my time living in a small village in Kent where both my parents had moved away from Northern Ireland due to the troubles and a lot of things kicking off in the very early 70s as you can imagine and not want to put too dramatic on it we were burnt out of our home in Northern Ireland and as part of my mum and dad just decided enough was enough they wanted to leave Northern Ireland and I grew up in Kent along with my two sisters and then when I decided to go to university I thought well where could I go to university be quite interesting I'll go back to Belfast which is slightly mad but I had this sort of idea that I would meet with family I hadn't seen for years. The troubles were still raging when I went back to uni, but fell in love with the place. Met met the lady who became my wife. And then unfortunately I remained in Northern Ireland there by marriage, not by choice. <laughs> and ended up spending well, thirty odd years in Northern Ireland. And, and that Incredible. Northern Ireland's a strange place. Um, it really is, you know, a community. A community that struggles, a community with huge 
diversity but also real huge inequalities. And I kicked off when I left university working in a small organisation that was trying to do social and economic development and then sort of found my way sideways into the health service and spent the guts of 25, 26 years working in different management roles through health and social care. Yeah, fantastic. Goodness, what did your parents think when you decided to go back? Um, my mother had fought, unfortunately already passed oh, away. But my yeah. father was delighted because he always had Ireland as part of his yeah. life and was delighted. I genuinely thought I'd go for a couple of years, yeah. get a degree and go back and work in, in finance. Actually, I wanted to work oh, okay. in, in a corporate finance. How sad is that? <laughs> uh, and was offered a job as a trainee fund manager for a large bank yeah. and then decided, I don't think that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and ended up as a social economic development and then into the NHS. Fabulous. Oh, thank you. That's yeah, yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And what led you to Bristol then and, and this opportunity in our integrated care? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, for me, the way health and social care worked in Northern Ireland was that um, we had an integrated health and social care system. It was integrated in 1974, so it's nearly 50 years old. So I'd spent my whole working career working in integrated systems, and I thought, well, I wouldn't mind trying to build one as opposed to working in one. And obviously the ICS approach came around and, and had to seriously think, because, I mean, you know, not just moving jobs, but moving home, uh, sure. the issues of family, etc. But when you started to look at the integrated care system, there's something quite special, the opportunity to bring together health and social care, volunteering community sector, people with lived experience. You're really trying to drive true integration. And therefore, once I decided I wanted to work in trying to create an integrated system then I had to say where you know why Bristol and it's a strange one because I looked across all of the 42 I genuinely thought where would I like to try and do this and something which attracted me to Bristol North Somerset and South Gloucester was the idea that it felt like Northern Ireland I know that might sound a little strange but Northern Ireland is a series of it's coastal, it's urban, and it's rural. Mm. And then you start to look at Bristol, North Somerset, and South Gloucester, and you go, well, actually, it's coastal, rural, and urban. Yeah. So I thought, there's something I've got a half chance of doing okay on this one. And then the other thing, of course, was that it, it isn't enormous. And what I mean by that is, I think, as a chief executive coming into a new system, you don't want to take on a Manchester or a Birmingham or a Newcastle or a London. You want to try and go somewhere that you can make a difference. And it just felt like BNSSG was the right one. So... I applied and I got it and, here. <laughs> and I'm here and that has resulted obviously then you go oh my god I've got it you be careful what you ask for you might just get it <laughs> and then it meant I had to think right okay then it's about family it's about home it's about all that kind of stuff but you know it, it just felt right. Thank you that's really helpful and it'll guide us through mm. a conversation of uh, how this all fits but before we can talk about locality partnerships mm. it might be helpful for our listeners to talk about the integrated care board. Yeah. And, and I think what policy calls integrated care partnership, mm. or, or we call it integrated care system, there's different language, isn't there? Yeah. How, how, we, how all of that works? Yes, certainly. I mean, obviously, we've got a number of levels of integration. I think you, you know, I often think about it as a one, three, and six. So we've got at the one level, how do we integrate at a genuine systems level? And that is the integrated care partnership. Unfortunate that they chose to use our language, but anyway, the integrated care partnership, which is very much about public uh, bodies, voluntary community sector, people with lived experience coming together to set the strategy for the population of BNNSG. Then you've got the integrated care board, which is the organisation whose job it is to deliver, and the 
So the partnership is setting strategy and then we and the integrated care board have to take that strategy and really deliver out for our population. And that delivery needs to be at a at a one level at a system. It needs to be at a three level at local authority and it needs to be at six because the six is when really you know delivery happens. So that's very much where we're going with it. And uh, and, and one of our challenges will be is the one three six. You know, what's what is at one level for the whole of our, our, our system and what actually is better to think about yeah. to plan and deliver at a locality level yeah that's yeah. it's helpful and it helps sort of set the context mm. of our locality partnership many of which our listeners might not have heard or understand yeah, yeah. what it is and how do you foresee and, and this isn't to trip anyone up but it's it's maybe formative but what is what will the sorts of things that locality partnerships uh, what are, what are mm. going to do for us? Well, it's interesting because I wasn't, I'm only here six months now, but I wasn't long here when a chief executive said to me, what is a locality partnership? Mm. And it was a chief executive of, of a, another organisation. And I suppose for me, and then it made me think, well, actually, what is it? Yeah. And, and for me, it was a collection of people who come together to plan locally and deliver locally to help improve the population they serve and if you think about it in that context then there is loads that we can and should plan locally and deliver locally now that doesn't mean everything should be planned locally and delivered locally because if you know you wouldn't do brain surgery in each of the patches of course you wouldn't but actually if you start from that point that well the best way to plan a service is to plan it based on local need then for me, the localities become the engine room of that smaller gathering of population. And these, we say smaller, there's still large, large numbers of people. But that smaller gathering that says, actually, what does my population look like? Mm-hmm. What does it need? And how can I deliver to that need? And that, for me, is what the locality model is about. It's mm-hmm. about understanding local need and working through partnership how to deliver to that local need. And that, that, that isn't what the NHS does well. I mean, let's be honest, you know, the idea of, you know, our, our new Secretary of State, whoever he or she might be, going, well, actually, I think we should do everything locally. No, it's not going to be the case. It's going to be a big national policy. Our job is to try to turn that into local autonomy, local ownership, local planning and local delivery. Mm. I think that's really powerful. And mm. the North Somerset, of residents have such different experience mm. the pockets of Bristol and absolutely uh, and, and there is and, I, and I've tried to use the phrase a lot this idea of, of equity of outcome not equity of access if 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 the model we're trying to drive is equity of access therefore everyone gets the same thing mm-hmm. then there's no point in localities if our aim is equity of outcome which is our job is to try to get everyone to the same place of outcome then you need local planning because everyone's starting from a different place and therefore you are right i mean you know in the southern part of north somerset you know equity of outcome is a big gap it might not be as big in the northern part of north somerset doesn't mean it doesn't have need though Mm -hmm. so it's about understanding the individual need how we plan for that need and how we deliver that need yeah that's really helpful. Thank you. What is it that excites you about locality partnerships? Like so often hear mm. you and others mm. talk about locality partnerships um, as a big part of our future. And there's a lot of energy going into no liking and trusting each other and sort of moving from the ta- facts and activity mm. into the emotion and feeling and, and the want to take on risk and have that trust to do so. Yeah. There's a couple of things excite me. I mean, first of all, I came 
from a system quite a while ago now, about 20 years ago, where we introduced a thing called the patch system, which is like localities we're, we're doing. Um, and the brilliant thing about the I think pa- I prefer patch. I yeah, like yeah it was a patch system. And the idea <laughs> of the patch system was that it didn't need to be bothered with the big bureaucratic NHS, okay? And what we were able to do in, in very small localities, and when we, I was talking in my previous world localities, maybe 30 or 40,000, and I appreciate that, you know, it's small, okay? But it was saying, you flexibility. We know the big bureaucratic NHS, or maybe even the local government. You know, it has mechanics that just take a while to get moving. Whereas actually, you were saying to localities, you have the freedom. Mm-hmm. You, have the, you have the freedom. Now, that doesn't mean it's a free for all. It doesn't mean it's random. It doesn't mean it's chaos, but it means you've got freedom. And, and actually, why wouldn't we want to do that? Because that allows people who understand the needs of Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Jones to meet Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Jones' needs, as opposed to this number, which it could be if you're really high up in a national system. So the exciting bit is is giving people the freedom to look at their their patch, mm-hmm. and I've used the word patch a lot because that's where I come from, to look at their patch and say, actually, what does that need? That's really exciting because what it also then brings in is innovation. Mm-hmm. Because rather than thinking about delivering in a standardized way, this allows for innovation, allows for trial, um, sometimes failure, because that happens when you innovate, um, and then allows you to get on and do other things, learning from that failure. That's really exciting, mm. as opposed to what you might call cookbook health and social care, which is you must do A, B, C, D, and E, and once you've done that, you'll have the most wonderful cake. Well, you actually won't. So it's the excitement comes from that locality flexibility. Yeah. But it's also quite scary, because... As a public servant who has responsibility for the governance and the money, mm. I have to trust the locality. And therefore, we've got to find a way that it's it's flexible, it's innovative, but it's not reckless and carefree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the sort of, I have to temper the excitement a little bit by thinking, how do we put governance around it as well? Yeah, that's really helpful. And that really... Nicely leads in. Mm. You haven't seen the questions. No, I haven't seen the questions. <laughs> immensely helpful. So um, I was going to talk to you about locality partnerships and, and a new mm. model of care, effectively, mm. about personalised. We talk about personalised, proactive and preventative care and co-designing that with mm. our residents and, and focused on well-being as much mm. as the care that comes out of well-being yeah. when it goes wrong. But but we talk a lot, and I'm talking for myself now as a delivery director around fostering reflection and mm. uh, generating conversations and co-create and learning in the doing, which is this innovative space. And and some of my colleagues that are probably listening to this who are facing GP access issues and ambulance delays and A and E are asking, well, how do I, as a person under pressure, see the opportunity of this? And it's really quite hard and not necessarily tangible at this point. Um, No, I mean, that is a huge difficulty. mm. And I suppose the current way we're doing things is not innovating in the way we need to innovate. And therefore, we have to create a space to to try. Um, There was a previous chief executive I worked for when I first came into the health service. He was actually a psychiatrist by background. Uh, And he talked about providing just the boundaries for people to play. And he referred to these organisations as creating the spaces to play. Now, he talked about a child on 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 a living room floor playing with blocks. And you wouldn't stop them playing with the blocks. But if they suddenly got up and walked towards the fire, you'd stop them. And I think that's, for me, the localities. How can we create that safe space yeah. where they can play, play with the blocks, see what we create? 
and protect that space doesn't mean that in the room next door somebody isn't trying to do you know working their heart out with in a and e or whatever but we've got to create that space to allow people to try stuff because if we don't then it will just remain the same thing all the time now that is a leap of faith for the organizations that we know as the nhs because that isn't the way the the NHS doesn't play you know it doesn't play it doesn't it doesn't play well with anyone it doesn't it doesn't provide those spaces to play Um, and that's not degrading play I'm not talking about players in Charlotte it just means you've got to have the space to have innovative thoughts Mm -hmm. you've got to have the space to say actually I'm going to try something and then know that the organization's covering if you fail Mm -hmm. I mean it was one of the things that struck me I I met a a very senior politician years ago and I said to him you know the biggest problem I have where I am as chief executive of Northern Ireland is I have no permission to fail so if I don't have permission to fail then I have no permission to try so part of the job we've got to do with the localities is give the localities permission to fail. Mm-hmm. Which, and I, by the way, I don't want them to fail, but yeah. you know what I mean. It's one of it's, our best lessons in life. Yeah, come from that business or whatever it is. Yeah. is from failure. So it? that for me is you know we've got to create that safe space, and we've tried to protect the localities to begin with, and create that space a bit. Um, and obviously we've you know we've gone into the, so the community mental health side, and and others have gone in the aging well side as well, which you clearly have. You know to try things and see if it works now at some point once you tried it and proven it works and it becomes normal business mm-hmm. and then we start looking at what other things we can try and we have to go there because otherwise we'll just carry on doing what we've done which is you know i'm gonna say is soul destroying at times because you know we we do not have an easy task on our hands in the nhs at the moment we have workforce challenges with money challenges but we have to try stuff and that's part of your job as a director, it's part of my job as chief executive is to create that safe space to allow people to try yeah. stuff. It's really helpful and really helpful to hear it because yeah. that isn't a narrative that we've had before. It's, no, no. It's refreshing. Listen, yeah, we get a bit more fun here now. So mm. in, in doing this, so if, if integration and locality integration mm. were a recipe, I just wonder what, what you thought the ingredients and measures <laughs> might be to, to succeed and be successful. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um I suppose there's a number of them. I think respect is a massive part of this. And what I'm, I don't just mean respect in terms of you know each other, but I mean respect for the patient, the client, respecting that they're the expert in what we do, respect for other professions. It was years and years and a long time ago, I did stuff into integrating uh, social work and nursing together, and we asked them to draw pictures. And the picture that was depicted a nurse and the social worker had to write that, and the social worker, the nurses had to draw pictures of what depicted the social worker. As trying to surface how do we get those ingredients to work. So they were asked to draw a car that best represented a nurse and a car that best represented a social worker. So the nurses drew, and this car doesn't exist anymore, they drew 2CV, you know, Citroen 2CV, because that's the image they had of a social worker, which was, you know, sort of a little bit of jokey, a little bit whatever, you know, reliable, um, but not sexy, not exciting. Um, and then the, the social workers drew pictures of BMWs and said all the nurses wanted to be, you know, fur coats and cars. The point being is you need to surface that and then have those conversations and say, well, actually, okay, so how do you work and what makes you tick as a nurse and what makes you tick as a social worker? What makes you... And that for them being respect. It's about understanding mm-hmm. each other's individual roles, understanding each other, because simply putting two people in a room and saying work together, it, it doesn't work. So the ingredient for me at the key is understanding and respect and understanding that what the social worker brings to the table is different from the nurse, is different from the OT, is different from the volunteering community, is different from the patient. And bringing all that together 
is actually is the mixture is a really exciting ingredient but the first bit is you've got to spend time understanding each other you can't just assume that we come together and it mag the magic happens it doesn't we have to spend time understanding each other respecting the roles that we can bring and i do think that's a massive challenge because if you I'll give you an example. If you're working in the voluntary community sector or you're working in the, in the statutory sector, with all due respect, you don't understand each other. You, you just don't. You know, I do not know what a, a small voluntary community organisation does, and with all due respect, they don't know what I do. Mm -hmm. But they can easily find out if we spend some time together. Mm -hmm. And you can guess what? See, when the two come together, they create something brilliant. So it's about taking that time to have the respect to understand what each other does and bring it together. As Shane and I talked about the value of spending time together and getting to know one another better to create something brilliant, I couldn't help myself but to draw your attention to an opportunity. We wanted to invite you to participate in Changing Lanes, a networking programme for staff working in organisations providing services in North Somerset. The partnership boards have created Changing Lane to enable staff to embrace making connections with those in partner organisations to better understand how each other work. In creating an introduction opportunity, we hope that you can have honest conversations with personal insights that join you up across your organisations and communities. If this is an opportunity that interests you, please do check out our show notes where there's a website with full details on how you can become involved. Now, back to Shane and the ingredients required for successfully integrating locality partnerships. The other thing that I think is a big ingredient is energy, because this is not a nine-to-five. You know, creating integration isn't come to work in the morning, do your work and go home again. It requires, it really requires energy. And then the final, I think, is bravery. It's being brave. Now, you, you're brave in the knowledge that what you're doing is for the benefit of the patient, the client, the population, but being brave. Um, and that goes back to our conversation about risk and being covered to take risks. Yeah. So it is respect, it is energy, it is bravery, um, and, and not being reckless. <laughs> <laughs> so you keep, keep recklessness out of the ingredients, yeah. but bravery and respect yeah. um, and actually mm. energy to bring it together. That message will really help as this goes out mm. so staff through your organisations yeah, yeah. can think about that within their teams. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. really valuable. Having worked in an integrated way for many years in mm. Ireland, um, I, I wonder what the one piece of advice you'd want listeners to go away with might be from, from your experience and some of the initiatives you've seen or examples yeah. that might be helpful maybe. I think for me, and I go back to the point earlier, simply saying we're integrated and being in the same space doesn't create integration. And what I mean by that is you actually have to come together to rethink the pathway, rethink how you work in an integrated way. I mean, we, we made the mistake certainly what 20 years ago we assumed that if we put all the OTs all the physios all the nurses all the GPs and all our social care staff in the same building sure we'll have integration mm -hmm. no we won't and therefore the biggest learning for us is when you start to take individual members of our population call them patients but they might not be and then say right okay how do we best serve you so integration happens around the patient simply co-locating and saying we're integrated is not the case and that requires re-engineering that requires thinking different so how do we work best for a, a young mother with three children who's struggling with fuel poverty you know, those are the kind of integration that comes around as opposed to just doing what you've always done. Um, this is really challenging integration. is about changing process, the way we work. 
because I mean once once you get the process changed, then it becomes natural, mm-hmm. and you, and you end up having integrated teams that just know what to do around the patient. But it doesn't happen by by magic. It happens by real hard work and thinking about pathways, thinking about what do we do at 6 o'clock in the morning when a homeless person needs X or what do we do for the young mother who needs Y. You know, actually thinking and maybe even working through what that means. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank mm-hmm. you. So we're sort of at the end of our mm. discussion, but we have a bit of fun towards the goal then, which we know that... Uh, podcasts or other mm. things can, can be communicated in newsletters and such but the yeah. most powerful way is to talk about them or do something a little bit creative so okay. we talk about passing the pod and, and I wondered if there was someone in your calendar that's coming up or a way that you might think you'd share this message to have a listen to this conversation that will help us spread the word of um, understanding this partnership pods a little bit different. So who would I pass it on to? Yes. Oh, that's an interesting one. If you'd, if you'd asked me last week, I had the pleasure of spending Wednesday with the Chief Executive of the Health Service, oh, Amanda wow. Pritchard. <laughs> that's too late now. Uh, and we had, a, we had our board on Thursday. Why didn't you ask me last well, Tuesday? Board. It's a and, season. <laughs> um, yeah, we have our Integrated Care Partnership Board coming up next week. So why don't we take a spot on the Integrated Care Partnership Board and I tell everyone how they can connect to the podcast. Fabulous. That will go a long way. Thank okay. you, Shane. I'll so definitely do that. You've got to give me the link. I will do. Will yeah, do. and then we can get that yeah. onto the Integrated Care Partnership. Well, listen, thank you for your insights and I hope this goes some way for staff to start to appreciate mm. uh, what, what this is all about. And, and yeah, your, your wisdom and thoughts there are, are really helpful and, and I know you're a busy man, so thank you very much. Thank you.